Did she see Beyonce? Mm. <laughs> yes. She did, she, did, did she see like Beyonce? Beyonce. She thought Beyonce was good. Um, she saw Eminem. I, know, um, I saw that Eminem was playing. Was that playing. seems a little bit... That seems a bit... I mean, I don't know much about... Well, that, that, then that might disqualify music. what is to come. But what is, are you he say? Not, is he not a little bit passé now, Eminem? Well, that was actually a theme of his performance. Oh, is that right? They read out rude tweets that had come in about Eminem. And uh, so he just basically swore at them with Dr. Dre on stage. And it was very oh, entertaining. How old is he now? You wouldn't, say, you wouldn't say Dr. Dre is passé, would you? Well, those, those two arm in arm. The thing is about Coachella... Is they, he an they, actual GP? <laughs> yes, 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 he is. He ministers GP, that's medical advice. He's Excellent. A, yeah. um, they, well, you should never forget about Dre. He's a paediatrician, so that's why. That's true, yeah. 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 He, he, he made that abundantly clear at the height <laughs> yeah. of his fame, yeah. Um, Have you never heard of a plate, Rory? He's just getting it all over my fine Italian table. It's not well, Italian. Why is it, why is it fine Italian table? There are no plates, Ginge. What is that circular one, ceramic one, object? There's one plate. Oh, that's chocolate. Oh, twist that. Have you got um, you got some news for us? There's a there's a for sale sign outside of next door, Dave Jones's house. The, the man who, according mm. to Wikipedia, lives next door to Andy Hinchcliffe. The famous architect, the Dave famous Jones. Architect. Well, I don't know how to explain. I'm hoping it's nothing to do with the bad blood between us, but probably it's very likely because of the hiring of power tools, uh, the passing, passing of lawnmowers, of lawnmowers and, and lawnmowers hedge trimmers, yeah, possibly. But he has has he taken some grief? It's Social the online abuse from the set piece menu mm. listeners about the power tools the may well have finally taken its toll. Oh, yeah. He's it buckled. Might, I think it could be the exact opposite. I wonder whether the Dave Jones advertising marketing strategy of assuming that lots of people who need architecture services go go on Chinch's Wikipedia page regularly <laughs> yeah. has maybe driven, made business so kind of vibrant yeah. that he's now selling it moving somewhere much bigger and somewhere much nicer. Yeah, not, so, the, not the Woodall's not nice, obviously. No, well, he's probably moving next door to Steve Guppy or something like that. You know, really well moving be, yeah. up market. Steve so Rogers. What, what's, <laughs> what's one up? <laughs> what's one uh, up from Woodford? If, if there is Woodford no is one, one up how from I should slap your face. So Bramall, Bramall is one down from Woodford. Absolutely, so what's one up from Woodford. There is no one up from Woodford. Really, no, no. K- Kensington, Point, Poynton. Kensington, Poynton, Poynton. Poynton. Whoa, whoa! There's a friend of mine that would seriously slap your face if you tried to say Poynton was a step up <laughs> from Woodford. Oh, no, seriously. And he's been to university. Well, maybe he can take Dave Jones' house <laughs> next door. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Welcome to Casa de la Hinchcliffe, uh, which has been um, inundated with pastries of the chocolate variety, muffins of the chocolate lemon and blueberry variety that have been passed out, much like these, uh, these chocolate twists are being passed out now. Apparently, Carly, who has uh, provided mm. all of the food and will be providing any more food that subsequently arrives at the table over the coming hour or so, so, to stress the point that Andy Hinchcliffe has not provided or cooked any of it. Um, uh, so, thank you to Carly. You're very kind. <laughs> Hang on a minute. I cooked your cup that of was, tea. That was, that was the fourth wall there that was just broken. Thanks, Carly. I cooked your cu- cup you, of tea. You did. You did. And, and Carly, foolishly, was going to grill the chocolate twists, where I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You put them, you oven bake them, don't you? Just to... Add a little bit of warmth to the pastry. I don't think you're in a position to criticise anybody. Not really, no, I should I'm Hugh Ferris. Alongside me and opposites are Rory Smith, who was last on television on Sunday, Stephen Wyeth, who was last on television on Saturday, and Andy Hinchcliffe, who, despite being the only member of the team to be contracted to appear on television, was last on television on Friday. 
I had been to Millwall on Friday, that so that you a need a weekend. No, you right, need okay. a weekend off. Uh, Rory was on Sunday Supplement on uh, on Sky Sports. Uh, how did that go? I enjoyed it very I can, much. I can sense that you even now have the remnants of appearing on television. Your hair is tidy, and your growth on your chin is also beautifully trimmed. Yes, I shaved. You it did look miracle. very fresh-faced. That struck me. We must have talked about this before. It takes it's years off you. Horribly self-indulgent. I have a real problem with my face <laughs> because if I if I shave I look really I'm 35 let's 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 get, let's that, get out, that out get there. that out in the open I'm 35 if I shave I look like a 13 year old boy and if I don't shave I look like a vagrant <laughs> so is there any way that those uh, two Venn diagrams can cross and you can look like a 13 year old vagrant no I d- well that would be a, a tragic backstory I don't well, like a sexy boxcar willy I don't think that's going to work do you know who boxcar willy is no, no, so you, you don't know who boxcar willy is who no. are very oh, old I know shocked. the name anyway anyway so yeah. I, I have to t- kind of make a call whether I'm, I'm prepared to, and I don't get a full beard that's what's really annoying it doesn't grow on the sides I, I grow a natural goatee so it's, it's there's a whole lot of politics <laughs> with me shaving but I thought, look, it's a serious business. Both Martin Samuel and Jason Burt, who I appeared with, have beards. So I thought I'd better, I'd better go the other way to make myself stand out a little bit more. And I also didn't wear a jacket. So I'm now imagining that if Rory does allow his facial hair to grow, he effectively looks like a 13-year-old jazz musician. Yeah. <laughs> I really need... You know how things keep coming back into fashion? Mm. I really need people to start thinking goatees are cool again. Because then I'm fine. I'm, I'm golden if the goatees are fashionable. But if, until, that de- and that gl- until that glorious day... Yeah, but are you going to let it horrible. grow into a proper hairy goatee or just a... It's kind no, of a, it would be a proper hairy goatee. Pro- really? Yeah. I don't think it'd suit you. It doesn't suit me, no. no. But then neither does being clean shaven, so... Uh, so we're not, mm. we're not working from it's a position tough. of strength. There is no middle ground life. there, is there? Isn't uh, th- th- your appearance mm. did uh, bring some reaction on social media. Yes. Rory, you'll be pleased to know. At XXXDAT. Ec- I don't even know how to say that. Such a, he's it, too does that, cool. Does that mean it's like, a, like an adult Twitter <laughs> feed? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, they say, did Chinch put a good word in for Rory Smith so he can share the croissant with Martin Samuel? Good point. You, 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 do you have influence to that regard? In terms of croissant? <laughs> in terms of appearing oui. on Sunday Supplement. We oui. Excellent. Are they real? That's the big question that I everybody has they when they're watching that program. No, no, no. Ones. No, they're real. And they're delicious. I had two cinnamon swirls. During the breaks? Quick! Uh, I ha- Yes, I ate one during the first two breaks and another. Right at the end, I thought I'd, I thought I'd, I'd earned it. Is the view from the 20th story of leafy North London also legit? <laughs> No comment. It's, and isn't it strange how some of the uh, things in the background are strangely close together and yet they're not in real life? Uh, and David Dalton says just this on Twitter. Rory Smith, sellout. Uh, get in touch oh. at Setpiece Menu is how those people did that. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Thank you for all your correspondence. Jan's gone a bit quiet. Um, I have to say, I wonder if the Leipzig talk the other day uh, sent him completely over the edge. Didn't we hurt his feelings? I think we might have hurt his feelings. Um, but Jan, please, just let us know you're okay. Uh, we start with this from Dave Tyndall. Hi, SPM. Love the podcast, etc. Very lazy. Tell us more. Tell us why. Uh, have considered <laughs> writing in many times, but never before got round to it. But I thought that Rory may enjoy this little fact. Okay. Had, which is a word that you had problems with yes. uh, last week, is the word that can be used the most times consecutively in a correctly structured sentence. I knew that. For example, I no, of course you did. But I can't remember how many times it is. Here it is. The New York bagel Rory had 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 bacon on it. So that's four had, times. Four times. Uh, so keep up the good work is how Dave Tyndall signs off. Uh, our regular correspondent Wes Chen from Brooklyn has also sent in a Rory-related email. Hi, SPM team. I like Rory. 
He's probably my favourite journalist in the world. That's really nice of him. Hence, looking at him get criticised from all fronts, a City fan, a Liverpool fan and a United fan on Twitter, is heart-wrenching. He actually said heat-wrenching, but I'm assuming it's a typo, because I can't imagine how you would get wrenched by heat. Uh, it's like watching two factions of the Republican Party hamstrung the supposed future of GOP Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Really sorry, Rory. Uh, first of all, I think that might have been before Paul Ryan decided that he was going to leave uh, his role as Speaker. And anybody outside America who doesn't understand... Don't worry. Uh, so that's uh, from Wes. This is the exchange that led to Wes's uh, response. Do you know, it's, I, I get frustra- so frustrated so many times with Twitter in, in the average week that I have no idea which one this <laughs> could one be is. Anything. It could be about 15 This was changes. after Liverpool completed their victory over Manchester City in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. One thing, says Rory Smith, um, verified account, that maybe needs to be put to bed after those two legs. The idea that Liverpool oh, aren't yeah. resilient. Rode their luck a bit, particularly at the Sané goal, but kept City quiet at Anfield, then didn't wilt at the Etihad after gifting them the first. That's not a soft centre. Which Paul Bauer... <laughs> who has a picture of him with a Liverpool top on, which, of course, is immediately something that discredits him completely. Um, it says, All you City fans can keep on moaning about referee decisions and the need for VAR as much as you want. It does not change the fact that you are the lesser. Keep focusing on that to your detriment. Roy Smith replies, I'm not a City fan. To which Maria Lester, City fan, replies, Allegedly the chief soccer correspondent for New York Times. She is pictured with not one, but two... Manchester City mascots alongside her. So that's Moonchester and Moonbeam both together at the same time in the same place. A double whammy. Wow. Uh, is, that, is that allowed? I don't, I, think, I don't think that could happen in case someone has a high-powered rifle. What are City going to do? Exactly. Nothing. Mm. Uh, Daily Deal, who is pictured alongside his significant other with a uh, badge of Manchester United imprinted on his avatar. Stick to soccer then, mate, with some really random words capitalised. Uh, Maria Lester replies with two cry-laugh emojis. I hate the cry-laugh emojis. Which is, is like a red rag to Rory's ball. Really is, yeah. And Rory signs off with this verified account. Soccer's an English word, kids, uh, he says, which is a bugbear not only you, but also me. Well, so the, it really annoys me, and I, I get it. I get a lot of abuse on Twitter, much of it entirely justified. Uh, but the one thing that really annoys me is this thing that, because I, because we say soccer, because my title is Chief Soccer Correspondent, people assume that it's in some way illegitimate. But my, my dad, who is from Leicester and is in his 70s and doesn't even have a passport anymore, so is, is that English? He is... He is He's almost English enough to have thought about voting Brexit, but he um, he um, he calls it soccer interchangeably with football. People did for years and years and years, and then at some point, football took over and it, it became kind of weird to call it soccer. I have no idea why, but it's it's a it's an it's an anglicism. It's not an American word. It is an abbreviation of association, association football. football. Yeah, in the, yeah. All you need to do is Google it to find out. It's in the first few lines of the Wikipedia entry on association football. The, the other the other complaint I tend to get quite a lot is that it's. American style to refer to, I find it much harder to refer to teams as it rather than they. So we would say Manchester United are going to finish second in the Premier League this year. Mm -hmm. Americans would say Manchester United is going to finish second in the Premier League this year. Oh yes, yes. That's really hard for me to do, but not nearly as hard as it appears to be for people to read pieces with it contained in it. I get so many people saying, no, it's unreadable, you've referred to the team in the singular. I find it very hard, like I would never... It never stopped me reading. Oh, I can't read but, this book. I don't like that grammatical construction. <laughs> but all you need to do is keep both entertaining and informing people out there because they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Rory provides a public service. Mm. Uh, Ravi Kachi got in touch on Twitter to say, 
I had the car window open as I listened to Set Piece Menu. I stopped at a red light and a man selling flowers started approaching all the cars in front of me. <laughs> he walked to my car and walked by without asking if I wanted flowers. So thanks, guys, for putting off random people selling stuff to me on the street. <laughs> Another aspect of our public service. Uh, lots of correspondent about last week's show. Thank you to everybody for getting in touch, including Stu Hall on Twitter. He's a Wolves fan. I've seen 17 seasons in the Championship, one in League One and four in the Premier League. We talked about what's the point of being a t- supporting a team that may well never win anything, particularly a championship side that has the hope of promotion but then may inevitably get relegated. It's rarely been dull, Stu says, but until Fosun came in there, the ownership group uh, from China, uh, our main aim was to do a Stoke slash Burnley. Like we said, as in set-piece menu, that will end in relegation eventually, but hopefully now we may be able to go further than that. Stu also thought that we might have done the entire podcast last week whilst thinking about West Brom, but like I said, he is a Wolves fan. Uh, Mark Lynch has got in touch about Shrewsbury before. Last week gave him another reason to do so. He says it is hope that is the reason that you support clubs who don't win anything. Shrewsbury have for years been top end of Division 2, strugglers in Division 1, so a yo-yo team in a different part of the football pyramid. Uh, But Paul Hurst, who's their current manager, has brought in a sense of hope that we could get back up to the Championship, which is the level we were when he start, uh, he started supporting them 30 years ago. He'd also add this, Andy was rightfully praising the virtues of the championship and Steve made the point that perhaps it needs more publicity. Please no, says Mark. One thing that really is beginning to annoy me about the Premier League is the ridiculous amount of publicity it gets with a non-stop analysis, usually of a pretty poor level besides Gary Neville and <clears throat> Andy. Every week, one club being in crisis and then most annoyingly of all, the constant boring press conferences before every match. Seriously, why are these suddenly necessary? Managers seem to suspect and so much time doing these, you wonder how they have time for it. How many times has anything interesting said? Well, I would say to that that they've been going on forever. It's just that they haven't been on Sky Sports mm. News ever. Well, also, Championship League 1 and League 2 clubs all do press conferences every week. They it's do more than Premier League clubs. It's just not on the telly. Yeah, it's not broadcast. The they have more games, so they do more press conferences. Yeah. And Mark says, by the way, Andy, how good was Des Walker? In terms of... <laughs> I don't know. Don't <laughs> oh, his football? Yes. Oh, his football was excellent. Right. Excellent. And then Mark signs off by saying, enjoy whatever food buffet you're scoffing next. Best gum regards, Mark Lynch. Well, the food that is being scoffed is, is courtesy of Carly. Can I just say, hope, clearly key to, to fans, Burnley. Mm. What did Burnley hope for now? I think last, yes. last week we said that what Burnley, I would guess, Burn, and it would be great to hear from Burnley fans, but I would imagine their hope at the moment is to consolidate, repeat the trick, definitely finish seventh again next year. Right. And the, it, the problem that will, will come for Burnley, and in fact this is probably tied into what we're going to talk about today, is what happens if over the next, say, five years, they finish seventh, tenth, eleventh, seventh, tenth. At the end of those five years, that's when the problem starts. What do you hope for then? Because it gets boring, or, whatever it or is. Or if, if your manager leaves, yeah. for and, example. And they'll be looking at the state that Southampton and Stoke have got themselves yeah. into from being teams that regularly finished in sort of 7th, 8th and ninth position uh, and see what can happen to you yeah. three or four years later. Just describing the aroma that accompanies our conversation, it is absolutely glorious because Carl is providing us with some bacon and Primrose clearly has a very keen sense of smell. She does. Because she is also she commenting mm. upon the lovely smell. Uh, this from Hal Gertz, also on episode 72. Hello, as an American fan of a big-ish club that's been in the championship for seven of the ten years I've been following them, this episode struck a chord. I went to London for the first time ten years ago and my dad and I decided to catch a football match because we love the sport and who knows when we'd have the chance again. But we didn't have the money to to see a Premier League game on short notice, so we went to Loftus Road. I've been a pretty serious QPR fan ever since. I agree that the Championship isn't covered as much as it should be. I agree that the football is better than people think. I was lucky enough to study in London in college and got to go to more games at Loftus Road and a few at other Championship stadiums too. The game day experience is fantastic, still shows well on TV. 
All of that said, I'd rather be in the Premier League every year scrapping for points. To me, proving that you can compete in the best league in Britain is more satisfying than playing in the Championship, but maybe seeing more wins. And that's a fan from afar, but also has had the opportunity to go to QPR a lot over the last 10 years or so. That's interesting, because you think, yeah, you want to play in the Premier League, but I presume most fans would want to enjoy being in the Premier League and battling relegation year after year I'm, I, I see, I'm not a fan I never have been I've been such an exceptional player from such a young age <laughs> that I didn't really go and watch teams and I can understand the mindset but that's uh, yeah I, I've always thought oh, surely you want to see a winning team rather than a team battling for its life every week regardless of the league that you're in this email starts hi Steve well, thanks. Uh, the, the, Finally, the, some recognition of the role that I play. S of SPM is not Steve. It does not come first in anybody's minds. Um, I'll see if Steve can guess who this is. Go on, then. Sitting on the tram to Manchester to watch City on Sunday afternoon, I spent the time with you whispering in my ear. I think that's still you singular there. Whispering in my ear with the latest pod on why fans of teams with no hope of winning anything stick with their teams. Unusually, I felt I made some excellent points to drop you a note as I thought that you missed one important point. Still singular, just about Steve. <laughs> some people may think that a City fan has no right to comment on this subject, but as a fan for 40 years and a season ticket holder for over 20, I've seen both sides of this situation. For me, the decades before becoming the moneyed club that City now are are ones of memorable moments. The team had no chance of winning trophies, but could still provide moments of pure joy that could not be repeated anywhere else in my life. Can I guess who it is? Go on. Is it cheesy? It's not. (laughs) (laughs) For those people who know who we're referring to, have a good old giggle. For those who don't, it's best that we don't extrapolate that point. Um, The memory of Sean Gota mugging Gary Neville off in the corner and then slotting home as City beat United in the last derby at Main Road will live with me for the rest of my life. That season ticket probably cost me about £500, and for me, it was worth it just for that moment. A club of City stature should never have been in the third division, but every City fan is glad that we dropped down to that level because it gave us the Paul Dickov last-minute equaliser in the playoff final. That was actually a pretty horrible season for City, but the memory that ended it was worth every low point thrown at us in the nine months. These moments don't even have to be positive. I remember fondly City playing Middlesbrough in the final game of the season in what was effectively a UEFA Cup playoff. Needing to win and drawing 1-1, City won a late penalty only to see Robbie Fowler's shot saved. We then subbed Claudio Reyna off for Nicky Weaver, our reserve goalkeeper, and put David James into an outfielder shirt and threw him up front, despite (laughs) having centre-forward John Mackin sitting on the bench. It was shocking and awful, but it is a gold moment. Chinch and I were commentating we were. on that game. We were. Could not believe, believe our eyes. Stuart Pearce oh. was the man who made that decision. And by the way, a little subtext to that game is that City was so strapped for cash at that point that they were actually pleased that they didn't go into the UEFA Cup because it meant that they would have had to pay European qualification bonuses to their players and they simply could not afford to pay them. So they were actually a little bit relieved that Robbie Fowler missed the penalty and then it was a farcical end. Oh, but they had a shirt already for David. They kind of... They, th- they thought it through, hadn't it was, they? It was a plan. But the f- it's the funniest thing ever to see, okay, take a goalkeeper and put him... And sometimes they can really play goalkeepers. Yeah. David, he was like kicking people's heads. It was just <laughs> the most bizarre. It was like he'd never played football before. And they just threw him into the penalty area and said, just see what happens. It was unbelievable. Chaos it was chaos. Um, this emailer goes on to say, similarly, Kevin Horlock was once sent off Kevin for aggressive Horlock. walking. Comedy gold. <laughs> These moments are why older City fans still remember fondly the typical City era where if there was any way that the team could stuff things up, they would. These were terrible times, but great memories. This is why winning the league in 2012 was so perfect for City. Uh, not only did we win our first league title in over 40 years, but we did it with that moment with Aguero that not only won City the title, but took it away from United. It was the perfect encapsulation of 30 years lived through moments like that as a City fan. We now experience football differently. This year has been the most amazing season of football that I or anyone sits with me have ever seen. But I can honestly say that there hasn't been one moment in the year that has even come close to that feeling when Nicky Wee 
Weaver saved the final penalty in the third division playoff final in 1999. If football were logical, we'd all be supporting one of about six different teams, but it isn't. Being a football fan is about investing emotion ahead of logic, and it's all the better for it. Keep up the good work on the pod, Steve, and I'll buy you a brew <laughs> when I next see you at school drop-off. Can you guess who it is? Yes, Simon Way. We could have had this conversation on Friday afternoon, but thank you very much. <laughs> we'll start this week's subject. Um, we'll do something on Wenger in uh, specific terms a little later in the year, probably when he's actually left, just in case they win the Europa League and the whole story gets something of a happy ending but our discussion today will be Arsenal inflected nonetheless when is the perfect time to get a manager's job Steve had this thought that the Arsenal gig is incredibly tantalising in terms of resources structure and modest expectations whereas most jobs are either clubs in crisis or clubs that regularly recycle coaches and expect immediate success is the Arsenal job says Steve quite unique then Rory had this thought what do managers look for is it better to go for a doer upper or do you want something that you can move into straight away? I watch a lot of location, location, location. A lo- lovely metaphor. We'll continue it as long as we possibly can. And then, would you believe it? Did somebody else have a thought? Stone the Flaming Crows. Yeah. Pre-match. Yeah. Chinch had a thought. Also, Chinch replied. Light bulb. Chinch replied to the WhatsApp group. He did. That's, that's as remarkable as remarkable With this as thought, how much do managers or coaches actually get to affect philosophy anyway? Very few modern coaches get a chance to shape a clubs. And then there's a word that I think was supposed to be future, but he's put an R instead of a T, so it's kind of... Foo, foo, I've got fat fingers. For future. So if you were a manager and you could pick what kind of job, which club, and when? But this is, this is the problem. Do the majority of coaches out there have the luxury of saying, I can pick and choose which club I'm going to go to. You look at Klopp and Mourinho and Guardiola, they can go into a club and shape it because of their stature within the game. How many other coaches, seriously, are going to get the freedom to do what they want to do at a club these days? Because clubs tend to have their philosophies. Coaches come in and come out so quickly. You can't tell me that 90% of coaches have the choice of which clubs they go to because it's not that straightforward anymore. No, they don't. I think that's completely right. I think the vast majority of coaches end up taking, I don't know, I guess if you do well, incrementally better jobs. So if you're in charge of, let's let's, let's go abroad. If you're in charge of Bari, uh, you might, and you get them to the top half of Serie B, you might get a team that might get promoted from Serie B and then you might get a job at the bottom of Serie A. And, but then at some point... You're going to stop going up and you're going to either go sideways or go down and then go up again. So, the vast, yeah, the vast majority of, of coaches don't get to, don't have the luxury of that sort of choice. No, not at all. But there, there's, other, there's other divisions that I think are quite interesting. You've got, and Vendor is quite a good illustration of this, that that old school kind of, what we always call the British manager, the, the, over, the all-powerful overseeing every aspect of the club. He sets the ticket prices. Mm-hmm. He buys, you know, he, he goes to Macro and buys job lots of brown sauce and... And then he picks the team and he scouts the players and stuff. He was responsible for the, I think, the makeup of the pies. I think the pie. Mm. He genuinely had mm. an input into the pies that are sold at the Emirates. The um, well, he desi- helped design bits of the Emirates and the steepness of the stand. He helped design the training ground. That that vision of the British manager that they don't really have on the continent. Th- that is designed. So coach, manager, architect, structural engineer, mm-hmm. chef, pie filler. Pie filler. It's a, it's a big job to fill, isn't it, for one man now? Exactly. In the modern game. Our American friends, it's coach and general manager, both together, where you uh, you get the say and the, the amount of money that's spent on yeah. certain players too. But what's interesting is that there are other managers who want that kind of control. Yeah. Maybe not over the pies, but... Mm. If you look at Conte, part of the problem Conte's got with Chelsea is that they won't give him yeah. control of, yeah. of the transfer business. Mm-hmm. So I think that there are managers out there who, if you're Antonio Conte this summer, 
presumably once you leave Chelsea, presumably you are looking for a job where you can have that level of control. So I, I think Conte would be a great fit for Arsenal as it, as it happens. But is, is that happening less and less because clubs seem to have their own, the owners, they have the transfer committees. Yeah. The, it's the coaching isn't At, like it used to be. There is a massive separation. below. There is the elite, and for the purposes of, of this discussion, we might as well include the top six of the Premier League in that elite. Then, then there's Real Barca, Atleti, maybe Valencia in ish. Juve, possibly someone like Roma, but probably not. Uh, Bayern, maybe Dortmund, uh, and PSG, and maybe Monaco or Marseille. You know, there's, there's those sort of big, those really big clubs mm-hmm. are, sep- are governed by a separate set of rules to everybody else. So just as the managers who are taking the other jobs aren't picking and choosing based on, oh, well, you know, they won't allow me to implement my philosophy. Yeah. Those clubs aren't picking and choosing the very best managers because of their philosophy. They are largely, as Steve says, picking because they're in crisis and they need a manager. So are we going to see perhaps something of a power struggle at Arsenal to fill the void in certain areas of responsibility that Wenger had and then appointing a coach? Or will they look for somebody to replace Arsene Wenger in in the entirety of the roles he's been fulfilling over the last two decades? Billy Bean, who was a good friend of Wenger's, uh, always says, the Moneyball guy, uh, always said that one of the principles of Moneyball is when you've got a, a guy who hits... 412 home runs every week or whatever you do in baseball the um you don't try and replace him you don't say we need we need a guy who hits that same number of of points as um as as ian this guy ian uh you you struggling with the vernacular (laughs) (laughs) you don't you 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 replace the aggregate you don't replace the individual so you you look at him and say he yeah hits this many he backstops this many, he fields this many, whatever. You say, I'll right, tell you what, Jan Wolf is going to get really annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is baseball. I've got no idea what I'm talking about. You don't you do and, you, you do and get the guy who, can, who is, who is the, the first baseman. You get the guy who can, can do the runs. You get the guy who can do the other stuff. And that's what Arsenal have done with Wenger. They've got San Leahy in as director of football relations, I think, which is a very much a made-up post, but means director of football. Yeah, there's some really funny job, job titles. Yeah, and it was, all to, Embers, it was all to kind of soften the blow to Wenger and to an extent maybe to hide what was happening. Uh, Sven Mislintat, who obviously came in from Dortmund as, as chief player spotter, uh, and then a guy called Husfami, who was from Team Sky, who's a lawyer, who is in charge of the contracts and I guess will take some of the, the monetary obligations away from Gisidis as well. So they, they are replacing the aggregate. They will slot a coach into that mm. to that position, which plays into what Chinch is talking about because more and more clubs are going that way and it's the right way to go because that old school manager thing is is not suited to the how complicated modern clubs are but it means that you as a coach your scope for imposing a philosophy is is reduced at most clubs so if you are the sort of coach who wants a philosophy wants to impose your philosophy which isn't every coach some coaches are perfectly happy to just go in improve players take training be given be the players are given yeah. be a coach mm, yeah. it, I guess the difference between coach and manager is actually quite important there's a lot of a lot of the people who stand on the sidelines and point see themselves as some see themselves as managers and mm. some see themselves as coaches they don't all want to be involved with transfers they don't all want to have to do the contracts they're not uh, someone like Pochettino I don't think is bothered by that there's loads of, of managers in, in Europe who wouldn't expect to have any responsibility for scouting it's not their job that's not what they're good at yes yeah, it's another way in which English football is so a long way behind the rest of Europe, if you if you consider that to be. To be are, a there, are there any managers in any of those elite clubs outside of England that you mention, or is everybody a head coach? So I'd suggest that a lot of them, even if they do some of that, they still well, their, call their responsibility head coach. is coaching the players. Whereas there's a lot of other people to do all the different aspects of the job that maybe Arsene Wenger did or Alex Ferguson did. Yeah. Now they have other people filling those roles. I, you coach this set of players 
I don't think uh, th- th- those very elite teams, I don't think there's a single person who is standing on the sidelines pointing whose job it is to do the scouting as well. Mm. Oh, to sign players yeah, because yeah. those clubs have whether it's a sense of hubris or whether it's because it's just the, the, the realistic nature of being a huge club that has to win all the time you have to have things in place that yeah. are not reliant on the success or the failure of the managed, manager to coach his players or the coach to coach his players so even you know there are there are other teams and we've spoken about them before teams that have a way that have a system a structure that they expect the head coach to just slip into and if that coach fails it doesn't matter there's no long term um, effect of that because they can just bring somebody else yeah. to slot, slot in. Now clearly that doesn't always work but they've got to have a bigger longer term plan that is not based on the success or otherwise of the head coach. So ideally you'd have a club who are aware of their place in the firmament who are aware of the way they want to play who are who have a good youth system and they're, they're, all tra- they're training all the players to play in a certain way so they're all ready if they're good enough to make the first team and they then go out and get a manager who fits that philosophy, who plays that right type of football. So in the good years, you'd say Barcelona were the perfect example of that. They knew the sort of players they wanted. They, they had guys going and do Robert Fernandez or Zubizarreta or whoever going and doing that. They had a La Masia obviously producing players, and they got Guardiola and Enrique and, I mean, even Tata Martino, who was kind of a, not a disaster, but didn't work out. It was a similar type of football. It wasn't kind of... Sam Allardyce. It wasn't. Well, we're going to go and get this guy. Does he? He play, we, need, we need to be big and tough. There, there wasn't that chopping and changing of this isn't working. Let's do the opposite. It was this isn't working. Let's get a guy who might be better at this. And so they're, that's they're, the they're, they're the best example, Barcelona, because they've been doing it since Cruyff, and they have not really changed the, 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 that much they, either before or after. They veer from the true path occasionally, and that the, the people who were in those jobs. This is something that's really misunderstood. The people who in the, are in those jobs are sometimes not very good at their jobs, but that doesn't mean that the system is wrong. It just means that the individuals who are employed are not very good at their jobs. So does that actually make sense? In many ways, in 20, 25 years, 30 years ago, the coach was the embodiment of the club, where now you have the club. So do they think by doing it this way, it limits the problems that, strangely, a coach could bring? If a coach came in and said, right, you've got it wrong, I want to do it this way and change all the playing staff and play a different way, that could clearly cause you a lot of problems, could get you relegated. Do clubs, are they run like this? Because they feel, well, we're in control of 90% of what goes on. The coach can just get on with dealing with the players. And he's strangely not as important as the rest of the jobs that are going on around him. Is that why they've gone down this road? Are they limiting the problems that strangely a coach could bring if he wanted to change everything? They, they say, we, that's not the way we run the club. We bring somebody in to run it or coach the players in the way that we want it coached. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Club, clubs are seeing the opera- operation of everything as a mechanism aren't they and mm. the easiest way of correcting any fault is just to be able to re- replace one part of it if you've got a manager who oversees the entire running of the football club and and he leaves or it's failing so you have to get rid of him all of his coaching yes, exactly, staff yeah. all of his footballing philosophy yeah. it's a lot harder to then start again to, to re- refill all those vacancies whereas if you've just got a system in which if somebody leaves somebody retires somebody is sacked that's just one person that needs to be replaced and you can select the person who best fills that vacant slot. So when did this, can we put a date on when this started? Am I, am I leading you down? Oh, the oh, beautiful. That's synergy, isn't it? Oh. Tell me when this, when this thinking came in. Where we, did it start? Who, we who did, brought it we in? Didn't even, we didn't even have to plan that. Telepathic. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah I was Andy Colty or Dwight York there. Absolutely. I was at the far post and you, you knew I was there when you dig oh. the ball over. You just oh. said to half head. Other. 
and the, and the and magic sparks flew. By talking about it, you're kind of undermining oh. the seamlessness yeah, of true. it. But um, you can cut it all out, though. <laughs> the, um, That'll get left in, I can guarantee you. Yeah. Yeah. has got like a vaguely post-coital glow about it. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. just the understanding. No smoking indoors. But, oh, yeah. the, so this is just a theory, but I think, I think it probably holds water. I think that the reason that the English clubs have managers, in inverted commas, and foreign clubs tend to want a coach who slots into a system is because of the way that those jobs developed. So the, the coach on the continent in South America was always the guy, brought, he was the guy brought in, often English, to teach the players how to be better at football. That's what that happened, how that happened. So they were, that was always their role. Their remit was you work with the players, that's what you do. Obviously, in England, we were much more suspicious of training. And the, man- the managerial position effectively came about through kind of secretaries more than anything and, and physical trainers. So the manager's job was to keep the players fit. That was important. They'd make them run around. And to people like Tom Watson at Liverpool and Sunderland to go and sign players. And the managers who come to England as they want to have that power, Mourinho and Conte, they are, and others, Benitez is one of them. Um, they, they, it appeals to them that kind of all-encompassing position, whereas on the continent in South America, the coach has always been the guy whose job it is to make the players better at football. That can involve physical mm-hmm. training as well, obviously, but that, I think, is where that comes from. I think it, it dates right from the start of, of football, basically, of, of codified professional football. Mm-hmm. So if those uh, managers, both English or British and foreign, from our point of view, are desiring that managerial position... Are they being undermined by the head coaches who have no interest in any of that and are being very successful? So Pep Guardiola has never spent more than four years. Jose Mourinho, although he probably has a slightly bigger desire to, to be all-encompassing, never spends more than three and a half years anywhere. So these managers, whether they're intense and getting burnt out like Guardiola has professed to have done in the past or the Jose Mourinho who just ruins all the relationships that he has around him whether it's with the players or with his uh, his bosses I think that it's that the clubs themselves yeah. have looked at it and thought it is economically and in terms of continuity far more sensible to say right we are in charge of 95% of the operations of this business your job is to coach the players for a few years until the players get bored of you or it stops working we are not going to let you come in and say, I want all of, my fi- all of my fitness staff, I want all of my scouts, I want all of my analysts, I want you to break down the entire edifice that you've constructed over th- this many years and reshape it entirely in my own image. Because we know that in all likelihood, in f- at most five years' time, you'll go and we'll have to start again. So th- I think it's not necessarily that we've in England we finally caught up to the continent because we've seen oh it's definitely better to have a four year coach who, who you know who and to, to plan for the short term effectively it's that on a business kind of economic level it makes far more sense to do it that way so it's not that these coaches aren't capable of managing for 20 years it's that the clubs don't want them to they're extent, looking yeah. at three or four year cycles of success change it w- all, I, all I, our structures in place we just change the coach I think that every works better of years. for everyone so what Arsene Wenger did at Arsenal in terms of of moving the club forward over the course of at least his first decade Mm. in charge and then providing stability for the next 10 years rather than being a model in which other clubs would would look at and I suppose the same is true of what Sir Alex Ferguson did at Manchester United rather than looking at those two coaches and say look at the success they achieved over a prolonged period of time why do we not view that as the model that actually because they helped move the game along during the course of their long reigns that was no longer possible for someone to come in and replace them and that although 
Arsenal, you perhaps think, well, why aren't they out there looking for the next Arsene Wenger, the next person that can do the job for, for 20 years, that actually Wenger himself... Bye-bye, Carly. Thanks, thanks, Carly. Thanks for breakfast. Thank you, Carly. Amazing, amazing bacon. And thanks, Hinch. Yeah, thanks again, Carly. What? You did nothing. That Wenger has, Wenger has made replacing him almost impossible in terms of replacing him in, the, in a similar vein. Yeah. And, that, and you mentioned all the other people over the last few years who've come in into Arsenal to do take on some of the responsibilities that a manager, an English football manager, might have had 10 or 15 years ago. So now the recruitment policy at Arsenal will be exactly the same as it will be at any of the other 10, 11, 12 biggest clubs in European football. Yeah, a lot of the irony with Wenger going is that he's he's basically been forced out by a situation that he created or helped create, not in terms of Arsenal, but in terms of the culture of the Premier League. And his success directly contributed not only to the popularity of the Premier League, but kind of the internationalism of it, which led to the increase in money, which made it far, far, far more pressurised and far more short-termist. And ironically means that the one thing that Arsenal can't do is do what they did when they appointed Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger would not now get the Arsenal, the Arsenal job. job if he was at, at Grand Pass 8. Not a chance. And there's loads of, little, loads of ways of looking at it like that, that that he has created an environment in which he cannot work, basically. But it, the short-termism is definitely part of that, that I think you can divide up Wenger's reign probably into three of success, stability, and then failure. And I think the way that a lot of people would probably interpret that is that stop it at the success, which is, what, 97 to 2006 at the absolute latest? That's nine years. So you could say, right, that is if you've got an exceptional manager and loads of kind of structural advantages that Wenger had, then the longest you can possibly be in charge of a football club is nine years. And after that, it will start to go stale. Mm. Everything that we've discussed so far, though, coming back to Pat, the, the, one of the launch-off points about this being a really, surely one of the most tantalising jobs at the high end of football that's been available for some time. Liverpool, perhaps, there's some comparisons in terms of when Klopp came in that, you know, the sense was that he could only improve what was there. Arsenal have got this situation where pretty good squad of players some some really outstanding players and one or two who will perhaps benefit from a new thought process and a, and a coach who might be able to improve them the finances are pretty steady the stadium's fantastic and you know season t- season ticket sales are good even if a lot of those people haven't been turning up in recent weeks and expectations are pretty middling at the moment considering the status in terms of if you came in initially playing good football getting arsenal back into the champions league well, you're going to be heralded, aren't you? Celebrated, at least in the short term. In terms of turning Arsenal into a title-winning side, a coach would be given a pretty reasonable amount of time to do that. No one is expecting whoever replaces Arsene Wenger to lead Arsenal to the title in the first season or two, surely. Although it's like the David Rory's, Rory's, situation. Rory's into eyes into rolling into the top of his head would suggest it, otherwise. No, 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 I agree. My, my, my point is, if you, were, if you were a coach... And Max Allegri, for example, you know, I've, I've seen people saying, why would he leave Juventus? Guaranteed title success, one of the mm. biggest clubs in the world. But hang on a second, that he's not going to be celebrated for winning the title. No. That's expected. Yeah. He comes to Arsenal and, and improves Arsenal and makes them more competitive. He'll have money at his disposal. His salary will probably be, be better. Why would you not swap those two jobs? Yeah, I think uh, you probably have to... if you just to make sure that the discussion we've had so far isn't completely irrelevant. If you accept that whoever goes in will have to want to be a coach rather than an all-powerful manager, because that has changed, 
I don't think you can think of a job that's more attractive than Arsenal. But, uh, but it is linked to what we've been we've been talking about because despite everything we've talked to, we've discussed up until this point that Arsenal job is still massively attractive yep. if you're a top coach even if you won't have the autonomy that Wenger did previously but you'll have grown up as well as a coach learning that the world of coaching has changed so you can't go to Arsenal surely David Moyes didn't go to Man United and think I'm going to get 20 years in the job but you, you know that the job is well, I don't know I, got I, a six year contract I think it? he might have must work, that to me was just because it can't and, and football isn't like that and coaching is like that surely the coaches don't think along those terms that I'm going to get even five years surely they, they're thinking one and two years let's let's work as hard as we possibly can and if, if I leave at the end of that time surely they can't be surprised by that because that is the world and will that be the case at Arsenal surely a, a coach going to Arsenal won't be given they, any they, different they, any they, different set of kind of um, circumstances circumstances to deal with they'll they'll expect them to do well virtually straight away two things are different there may be more than two things but two things are different if, if Arsenal are trying to prevent themselves from doing a David Moyes hmm. then David Moyes came from a job where he was in there for 11 years replacing a guy who was there for 26 and a half mm-hmm. so that was a unique situation Arsenal have gone from a guy who's been there nearly 22 to a completely different regime mm-hmm. under which they expect a completely different man to slot in. Yeah. And so there are there are it's two a more di- modern way of a yeah, club being run. There are it? two yeah. two yeah. different vital things what came before yeah. and what but does for, that for but the manager who does that the job, check, but, but does that still change the pressure that any the new Arsenal manager or coach will be under? He he won't be given the luxury of time. he'll be expected well, they, to they do they won't appoint a David Moyes. Yeah, exactly. yeah th- th- those agents who are I would imagine there's quite a few agents out there being proactive in terms of their client putting their clients forward for the Arsenal job none of those agents are representing coaches who would be looking for a 20-year employment at any one club they would be they, their brains would be working along the lines of you know three four five maybe six seasons is about your absolute life lifespan at the, at the very highest What's, level which, in any one which job. I don't know whether you know the answer to this which coach in Europe has been in the job the longest off the top of your head at the moment of the bit of the really big has, clubs has uh, no any, anywhere has someone been in charge for ten, what, 10 years or more or is it again is it something that 5 years is is that a surprise remember when Mark Hughes left Stoke and it was was it about four and a half years and people were saying he's been there too long and I just started to wonder whether across Europe are we talk, have there been coaches that have been at clubs longer than five years in the past say ten years well Allegri is Allegri can't be far off if you're looking at someone they, they won't do it of course because the way that Arsenal is run but if you're looking at the Moyes situation going into there, there isn't anybody out there that has been in the job maybe over five years Simeone yeah, Allegri's been, Allegri's been at Juventus. This is his fourth season at Juventus. Right. Simeone must be six or seven now at Atletico. Very probably, yeah. Very probably, yeah. Does so it, again, yeah. It's, it's, you can see the. I'm just guessing. You can see, <laughs> but again, you Simeone. can see the time frame for coaches is coming down and down and down. Isn't My so fault is all the way over there. It's all right. I'm doing it as we're speaking. It's all right. It's a great question, Chinch, isn't it? It's really opened up this debate. Is that you're not going to get an experienced coach? They don't want them anyway, probably. 2011, he took over. Diego Simeone. Seven years. So seven years. So he's probably the longest. He must be. Can't must be anybody the else. So that's really that's and he's a lot longer than anybody else. In spite else. of a lot of opportunities that yeah. he might have taken. So clubs don't even have the, the people with over five years' experience at one club to step into your club and say, well, he's guaranteed to do well because he's been there for such a long. Yeah. Those coaches aren't around. Two years, three years is about the match you're going to get, isn't it? And although Atleti was in Rory's list of the top dozen or so clubs, they, they'd be down towards the bottom you know they're not they're not the biggest club in their city no nope. so 
yeah, it's no surprise perhaps that the club towards the bottom of that list of the top dozen is the one with the longest serve. Yeah, but yeah. they also have, and this is, this is the other thing that we need to touch on with Arsenal, is that, so Atletico, if, if Simeone was to go, if he was to say, right, I want to have a year off, uh, Atletico is an attractive job to a lot of coaches. They've got some great players. They've got a, a brilliant new stadium, uh, famous name, great pedigree. Uh, but it's an old squad, which is one thing that... that that doesn't really count against Arsenal because it's not a, not a particularly old squad. It maybe could be a bit younger, but it's not particularly old. Uh, and they also their finances are perennially chaotic. So Atletico isn't quite as appealing. With Barcelona, with Real, Real Madrid, I guess the expectations are so high. You have to win the Champions League, or you, or at least get to the semi-finals, and probably the league, or you don't. I mean, in fact, there's still a ch- Valverde might go unbeaten this season, and there is a possibility he will not keep his job, which is shows how high the because of Roma, because of Roma, and at the same same time with Zidane, if Zidane doesn't win the Champions League, I think he, I personally think Zidane's done enough to kind of earn a reprieve. But it's possible that if Zidane finishes fourth or third in the lead and doesn't win the Champions League, he gets sacked, despite the fact that he has won two Champions League trophies. Mm. And then you have the other big clubs, PSG. We ob- we've we've obviously seen are very they will give a manager two, maybe three years, but. They want to be in the semi-finals of the Champions League, so if you don't do that, you can win the league title. No one cares. Do the treble. No one cares. I'm not interested. In Italy, you've probably got the Milan and Inter are both a bit chaotic. Roma and Napoli and Lazio maybe don't quite have the, the funds to compete. Juventus, I think, is probably quite an attractive job because you do have almost a guaranteed title and the, the expectation in Europe isn't quite so high as it is at Madrid and Barcelona. They're a bit more realistic. I think, I think they've... They've had their fingers burned so many times yeah. in the latter stages of the Champions League that, that they, un- they understand that luck plays its part and it's not just the best team wins the Champions League. So that's, in terms of the most attractive bid jobs in Europe, it's on the continent, you're probably looking at Juve as, as the only one that could compete with Arsenal. And, and then in England, I think the one thing that a lot of managers will take into account is that there's five other bid teams and that's really hard. So it's, it's, it's much easier to fail in England. It's much easier to, to, to be... Dis- and then there's individual problems with all... So Chelsea are, seem to have not quite have that kind of system married up properly where the coach and the, the recruitment department are, are running in tandem. Uh, Liverpool don't have the finances quite to compete with, with United or City. City's an attractive job, obviously, but you'd have to follow Guardiola. Uh, Spurs, the, the wage structure's really limited, so and the new stadium might force that to be even more limited, so that's that's a drawback. And then Man- Manchester United, I guess the squad you can say is a bit of a drawback. The squad isn't brilliant, and it's 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 un it's unbalanced. But the, in terms of the, it written down on paper, most attractive jobs in Europe, Arsenal is pretty. It's in the top two. You've also got a situation where Chelsea might become available, but then you've got Arsenal and Chelsea potentially both available in the summer. And we've talked about how attractive the job is to our identikit manager. But you also got to remember. Some of the coaches, if we're talking about those teams selecting from a group of 10 or 12, there are some coaches, and this is, this is to steal a point from Rory on our WhatsApp group yesterday, have such a narrow desire about what kind of job that they want that you end up picking from an even smaller pool. And so some of these managers, head coaches, are actually bringing their kind of 
terms of reference to down to down to so few that actually they're not going to take any of these jobs. And so it's not just how attractive the, the, the job is to a manager. It's how that manager sees his future and what kind of situation in which he can work. If Pep Guardiola is only going to join Manchester City because they had set up set it up for him, that's one thing. If if Zinedine Zidane, as you said on the message, Rory, is only going to manage Real Madrid and France, then he's not going to go anywhere else and try any of these other situations the rise in which the, he can the rise of the designer manager they are playing they, they are managing we have given so much power to managers and there is such a cult status to managers that they are effectively playing football manager with their own careers that's what they're doing and they're, and they're saying I, I will only go to a club which has a tradition of playing this kind of football and this philosophy so that I can fit in so it's, it's not just that the job and the nature of the job and the spec of the job that is narrowing down the field it's the manager's response to what that job offers them and whether it fits their desires on the as you say their, de- their design but, but those those people you refer to also then clearly need, need deserve credit for being clear in the thought process mm. to where they fit. We we spoke a couple of weeks ago about the idea that to be successful, you, you can't just be a great coach. Pep Guardiola can't just go to Doncaster and get them promoted. It's about the right coach, the right structure of the club, the right players everything falling into place, a little bit of luck as well. And if Zinedine Zidane realises that there's only two environments in which his methods can thrive, and that's with Real Madrid or with France, then why bother looking anywhere else? Because you're just setting yourself... He, he's anticipating that he'd be setting himself up to fail, or at least... So it's an insecurity. The, it's an insecurity that means that they're designer no, managers. But there can't be many coaches who have that kind of saying, well, I'll tell you what, I'll decide on what I do and I only think I can do those two jobs Mourinho has seen the same he's yeah. saying you know what it's not about what you want I I'll, I know what I'm all about and I can any club that I go to and say do you want me I know that they'd want me because I'm Jose Mourinho Head so there is a there is a, there is a yeah. His, ego there is versus a, ego Mourinho's yeah. ego is a little bit more that he would believe that he was able to go anywhere mm. and improve things he would, yeah. But he's also got a bit of a problem, Mourinho, after United, whenever he yeah. leaves United, which might not be for another 15 years, but whenever he leaves, I'm not sure what his next job could yeah. be. It's, he's running out of jobs. He's running out there will be one. He's, it looks to me like he's maybe running out of clubs that he thinks, and I'm not, this isn't a criticism, but he's running out of clubs that he thinks suit him. Doncaster? <laughs> it could be Doncaster. Could go to Rovers. Or is it that the clubs will think we actively don't want somebody like that because the way that we run it, actually bringing somebody in like well, that, that compromises that everything. That was Manchester United's theory yeah. until they realised that they... Well, they're in such a position that, and there was nobody else to, to call on. They, I presume, they, yeah, they? they wanted to climb out of the doldrums. They weren't, yeah. they weren't, you know. So they were forced headlines with their superstar. That wasn't clearly their plan. They were forced into this because yeah. of the situation that had, had arisen. Well, the story goes that Ed Woodward wanted to make a big signing, couldn't make a big signing on the playing front, and if he mm-hmm. did, it didn't work. People like Angel Di Maria. Yeah, yeah. So he decided the big name signing that he was going to make yeah. was Jose Mourinho mm-hmm. because that's what he felt that the global mm-hmm. fan base needed but that's what that's or what he needed to appeal mm. to the global fan base that's what we've, we've alluded to in the fact that it's it's different for this this small coterie of managers and this small cadre of clubs is really important because with Mourinho PSG have said or they've not said they've kind of decided they don't really want him they don't play the right type of football for them and Barcelona made that same decision a long long time ago so that rules out those two clubs he's done Real Chelsea and Man United one of those Chelsea might have him back again I guess it's possible but they don't quite see that seems to be one of those relationships like Ricky, Ricky and Bianca and he said where they <laughs> just can't leave each other alone <laughs> the um, but the, all the others I mean he won't have to Bayern wouldn't want someone like Mourinho coming it's, it's in it's Portugal isn't it it's Portugal it would have to, be, have to be Portugal but it shows actually how limited the way that it's drawn amongst the elite how limited your choices are if you are one of those top 15 coaches there are maybe 12 10-12 jobs that you will want to do that you will deign to do 
and after that, that's it. And it's not the perfect example because his career didn't work out as, as it was meant to. But you look at Andre Villas-Boas, who always said that he wanted to coach in China, in Argentina, and in Chile. I think, he, to be fair, I think he said the Far East. I think it was the Far East, China or Japan. And he he obviously coached in England. He won the uh, Europa League with Porto. He was the the wonder boy for a while, and it kind of went sour. He went to China and got his A money and B cultural experience, and then he decided to kind of jack it in for a bit and go and drive the Dakar Rally. And that's the kind of and get injured and get injured, almost like he wasn't a professional rally driver. <laughs> and the um, the horse racing next. <laughs> the um, <laughs> Yeah, and I'm going to be a chef. The, um, <laughs> it's that kind of portfolio career that they're, that they're after. They're, they're doing it. It's like a gap year for them. It's like, oh, I'm going to do my year in China now. It'll be interesting and well paid. And I want to go and take Lazio to the Cup Winners' Cup final or whatever. And, and it's, it's like they are... We have given them so much power. Ironically, at the time when they've been stripped of power by the clubs, we've given managers such cult status as a football culture, that they can say, right, well, I want this particular type of designer job. But the problem with that is that you run out of options pretty quickly because if Mourinho leaves Man United next year or two years' time, but doesn't want to retire and doesn't want to go to international football, they'll be, will he, what, is he going to take Everton? Will he, will he take well, over yeah, at Marseille? Well, financially, he, does, financially he can sit there and wait, can't the He's got the luxury of saying, you know what, I'm going to sit and wait. And it might be, yeah. it might be too, and then people will still want me. So he's in, you have to, surely it has to be, they're, they're different. Those guys you're talking about aren't the, the bulk no, of, they are the superstar. Yeah, yeah. so but they, you look at Benitez. Benitez. I think was what I was going to say to you about Benitez, Benitez was in yeah. was in was in that that group at one stage and kind of accepted that he it wasn't he couldn't sit around and wait for one of those clubs. He's always he's always been on the shortlist for for PSG and for Tottenham or whatever, and he'll be on the sh- he'll be a name that's been bandied around for Arsenal. But the, the, he, I think he realised I'm not. Gonna, I'm always going to get beaten to those jobs by someone younger. Is he a B-lister? I think he is probably... A-minus lister. A-minus. I think when, when they talk about new managers, they, they will have a list of 10, 15, 20 that they're thinking about. And I think he, he is probably one of the names that they come up, that they, that they will mention. And they'll be like, what about Benitez? And they'll sort of, oh, no, he's not. He lacks not, control. He's, he's not he's, trendy He's enough. not trendy. Yeah. He's not a trendy manager. And I think he realised he wasn't a trendy manager. So he, he, he worked out that, right, I've done Liverpool, Napoli, Inter Milan and Real Madrid. I have to effectively take a step down, said with affection for Newcastle, to try and get myself back into that conversation. By, by performance rather than reputation. He had to become trendy again. And it's interesting that he has kind of become trendy again, but he's been caught out by the change in culture, which is, it doesn't matter what you do with any club in the bottom 14 of the Premier League. Because unless you get into the Champions League or win a trophy, the top six aren't looking at you. Or you've got cool hair or look good in a suit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that doesn't, work, work, that doesn't even work for Eddie Howe. He's a Benitez. Is a, <laughs> Not so much on the hair. I like the suit. No, but Eddie Howe's, this sounds, sounds stupid, but it's really important. Eddie Howe's good looking. He's young. He should be he should be the kind of person you can see see why he needs to look more swarthy he maybe needs to look a bit more pensive I think but you can, you can kind of see why a, a major international brand would think Sean Dyche doesn't tick our boxes does he seem lo- quite local and quite British Eddie Howe is marketable yeah of, of, of Dyche the- goatee beard Benitez goatee beard Smith Smith goatee beard What's going on here? Well, is it are they are they being held back by the goatee beards? Possibly, the, the, the goatee could be symbolic. Mm. Eddie, Eddie Howe is the more likely to get linked with a top job in the Premier League than Sean Dyche, even though Dyche has technically done a better, done job. A better job. Yeah, 
Absolutely, and that sums it up. And, and Benitez is admired at places where he's worked, but fans of clubs where he's not worked don't look at him enviously in the way that they look at Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp or Max Allegri. So he, so if he was being linked heavily, if he was short odds with the Arsenal, for, if he was short odds for the Arsenal job, there'd be an awful lot of disgruntled Arsenal supporters. Well, and it's this weird thing about about familiarity breeding contempt. So Arsenal fans would wouldn't look at Rafa Benitez as who is a what Champions League winner Champions League runner-up two-time La Liga winner uh, Club World Champion Europa League winner FA Cup winner got this amazing TV and they wouldn't they would look at him and look at someone like Thomas Tuchel who we think will get the PSG job who I don't think has ever won anything and they'd be like well Tuchel's clearly the better the better bet Benitez never done anything like Tuchel's done and you, there is a really curious way of kind of establishing what counts as success. Uh, before we go, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Oi, what a soccer story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. It's been such a highbrow conversation. I, I'm going to bring the tone down. But no, not bring the tone down. Just go back to my formative years. The FA Youth Cup final of 1986. Classic. Were you even born then? Yes, I was four. You were four. It was my first experience probably of the big occasion. Playing against Manchester United Ooh. at Old Trafford, the first leg, Ooh. one all, nine thousand people to. No, I remember. I'm 17 years old. I've got the bleached hair. I've got the good looks. It's <laughs> those two things. I think. what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't I nearly spat food everywhere. <laughs> oh, over the years, yeah, they they've, they've I've lost sleep. Mutually exclusive. Lost both. You've got the tiny shorts. So, oh, the short. Well, they. This is the problem, you see. They they were mediums. It's just my bottom wasn't. Um, so 9,000 9, people. I think this is as good as it's ever played at Old Trafford in front of 9,000 people. One all in the first leg. We go back to Main Road, the old Main Road. A full house. Wowzers. Wow. 25,000. <laughs> How very dare you, Stephen. But 25,000 people turn up. It was the power as a left back. But I had the power to fill stadia. No, no, no. At what? One stadium. People say it was Paul Molden. People say it was Jason Beckford. It wasn't. It was clearly, as my career in football and as a broadcaster has opened, I realised I, I didn't know I had... No one's told me this, strangely, that I had this power to bring people together for the common good. <laughs> like Jesus. But, <laughs> something out through my nose. But thinking about, the thing about going back to when at 17 years, I think this wasn't about me enjoying the occasion. It was about the occasion was there because of me. Now, I, I might be over-egging this, but this has then followed me throughout my career. And it, it's no surprise that I, where I am today in my own front room doing a podcast with three idiots. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just probably didn't have a sense of my own power, which if I had done, my life might have been very different. Is this the story? Is this, the story? this is the story. Because <laughs> really, I was in the shower this morning and it I just th- struck I thought me. Mean, I thought this was the build-up. No, <laughs> no. This is the story about 17 years old playing in front of a full house of 25,000 people. How did it's you feel? Set. I think they felt great to be there and see me. <laughs> this is what I'm, the point I'm trying to make. It, that wasn't about me enjoying it and saying this is what football can bring. This is what I can bring to football and people's <laughs> lives. And they say that modern footballers have a, a problem with ar- arrogance. What was the score? What? In the second leg. We won 2-0. So you claimed the, you claimed the Youth we Cup. We claimed the FA Youth Cup and then within 
10 years I'd won the FA Cup who was it? Everton who was it so who was the star of that city team uh, we had some very good players in that team Paul Lake yeah Paul Molden uh, Steve Molden, Redmond Molden played professionally David White we went all uh, yes he did yeah but he, but he had a lot of he had broke his leg twice he was mm. a phenomenal goal scorer but he, he broke his leg so, so he, you, you know you've had injury problems when chin since you've had injury problems <laughs> no he did he had two spiral fractures which are nasty uh, anyway you used to like a spiral um, so we had a very good team but it, I, I always used to underplay my role but I, I shouldn't <laughs> thinking have thinking about it now Look, and back who was in the United team? and what who was in the United team uh, that is a good question the is Arsenal it? team we beat in the semi-final on penalties I think I probably scored one of the penalties in the shootout we won 5-4 Paul Merson was in that team so you were so you were so what? busy looking around Old yeah. Trafford and Main Road and mm. believing that those mm. Accumulative thirty-nine thousand people yeah. were, were there just to see. At the time, I didn't. You Steve. were paying absolutely no attention to who the opposition were. Well, it was immaterial because the force of myself and my teammates uh, won the day. Yes, it did. Um, but you know, I'm I'm not one to play up my own brilliance. Uh, but looking back, <laughs> I, I do feel that was a, a, a seminal moment in my career that I didn't realise. That's the problem, people out there. When these things happen to you, no matter how old you are, you have to realise what is happening and... Is this still recording? Yeah. Point point of order, Chinch. Yes. First of all, Gary Walsh and Lee Martin were in... Oh, yeah, Lee Martin was a title winner. They were the standout names in the... Lee Martin also scored... Lee Martin also played in an FA Cup. Lee Martin scored the winner. A left back who actually scored a goal in an FA Cup final. So, it happened on the 29th of April, 1986. It was indeed 2-0. David Boyd and Paul Molden scored. The attendance, however, 18,158. Oh, that's full house. That's not bad. You didn't have to. The, the story was a cracker, but that is not about what it is about the people first, turning first up. First leg isn't attendance seven thousand six hundred nine thousand. Same old thing. It's it's like voting, it isn't up. it? You just round it up, don't you? But this is the, what, the point I'm trying to make. You is the power, the power that you can produce that is there that maybe you just need to realise. And I never realised. Is Lee Martin podcasting today? Well, I doubt it very much. I don't know. I mean, everybody's podcasting these days. So there's not <laughs> a chance that Lee Martin's doing it, the House Martin or something. It's it's the democratisation yeah, nice. of broadcasting, Chinch. Yeah. And you're playing a bigger part in that than you ever did as a player. Thanks, man. Uh, don't forget how you can get in touch at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please do subscribe, share, rate and review. And we thank you for all your ratings and your reviews on iTunes. Please do keep them coming. Uh, one person recently just wrote the word amazing. That is all we need. Keep them coming as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, thank you to Steve, Rory and to Andy too. And thank you to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed have you ever done anything Rory where you've just thought I'm brilliant at doing this you know <laughs> yeah. I'm really good at doing this genuinely you must have no seriously I'm quite good at exams not quite the same is it no people tend not to cheer mm. but Steve <laughs> have you ever done anything and thought you know what I can seriously rock this no I think this, no. this might be a, a mental issue that you have to deal with alone Jim. Hugh never no seriously I you think, must I have interviewed the thing that I Kevin really Horlock and thought, you know what? I just nailed that. Just within the last few days. God, I'm good. Um, the, the, the thing that I'm most proud of is meeting a young broadcasting ingenue mm. um, and, you know, kind of clipping his wings mm. and trying to reduce the size of his massive head mm. and, and mm. huge arrogance mm. and turning him to something more of a human being. What happened to Sean Gota? <laughs>